Scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis. Um, 16th chapter, and we have verses 1 through 14 um, listed there for you. Let's uh, read the Word of God together this morning. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from a mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that you, they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your mis- mis- misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahi Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Berid. This is the word of God. Last week I felt like we needed to put a finish. And what we started as we looked at this idol, this American idol of sexuality. Last week we saw that God brings us out of our sexual messes, if you will. Well, this week we will look at how, how God brings and calls us back to a right sexuality. For Abraham and Sarah, it seemed like God had forgotten. This scripture is re- that you read just ten years before that, with them now at the ripe old age of 85, that he, God, had promised that, that, that Abraham would be the father of many nations, that he would be a blessing to the world. It's hard to believe when you are 85 and your wife is 76 and you have been barren all this time. But here's the point. God said it. God said it. He said that the blessing would come from a God-blessed and designed sexual union. As a matter of fact, in the chapter before this one, God tells Abraham that his heir would not be adopted 
but be his own seed from his DNA. But God did not say directly at this point to Sarah that Sarah, what her role would be in it. Now, now the cultural code, the way people did it then, uh, the, 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 the code of Hammurabi allowed for a female servant to be used as a surrogate. And the child born would actually belong to Sarah. We're going to call her the head woman in charge, the HWIC, which means that she was the mother of the house. She was the first wife. And so being sexually unfruitful, yet wanting to be fulfilling in another way, Sarah, not yet knowing God's plan for her, not believing God's pure plan for her in it, she asks, she orders, as was a custom, Hagar, her right-hand servant, to sleep with Abraham so that the blessing of God would somehow happen. Here's what she missed. The promise, the language of that promise that God made was that this would be a miracle. The, 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 the child, the, the, the people that would come out of them would be a miracle. And Abraham and Sarah would have heard it like that. That this would be a normal thing done under supernatural circumstances. That this couple would bear children. That's where the miracle was that, that God was pointing to. Not the surrogate hope of it. But this, that this thing would happen between Sarah and Abraham. You see, what God was speaking to wasn't, hey, maybe there will be a surrogate way of getting it. He was saying, I'm speaking to your barrenness. I'm speaking to Sarah and Abraham's inability to have children. And so that's where the miracle would happen. That this would not happen like everything natural, culturally right, would around them. This would be God's call on their lives. God's call on fulfillment of their sexual lives, not, not their manipulation or replacing of it. And we see and learn that the idol of sexuality is, 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 it becomes a way to get ahead, a way to replace what God has said. It can be used as a surrogate, if you will. For what God has clearly said. What has God said to us? about right and good sexual fulfillment. And what has God said, then what God has said to us is something very close to what he said to Sarah and Abraham, which is this, that I have provided as the creator of you and yours the means, the way to sexual fulfillment. I have a plan that to bring, there's going to be benefit out of your union. I have a way in it so that you can know me and my blessing through it. And the Bible uses those familiar phrases that many of us, especially those who grew up in the Bible Belt, we know all so well. Like, thou shalt, I like to put shout, Thou shalt not commit adultery and abstain from fornication. And Jesus makes it worse saying, even if you think about it in your heart, if you think about being with someone else's wife or husband or, or some type of other kind of sexual thing according to something that isn't yours, you guilty too. And God is saying somewhere, somehow, in those words, in those directions, like the promise to Abraham and Sarah, is the miracle of fulfillment. But like Sarah, we, we, we think about our physiology, 
We think about our issues. We think about our condition. We think about our histories. We think about our world. And we begin to hear those thou shalt nots and fornication like they're less than a hope for a miracle and more like foolishness. I have to tell you as a pastor in this day and age, I feel sometimes silly using those same words that that some sort of old aunt in some kind of inappropriate place conversation would say thou shalt not commit adultery or drop words like fornication. Like Sarah, we think, yeah, that's nice God, but 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 you misspoke or You're talking to the good people. You know, the people who want to try or can do it. I've got to take care of these things myself in my way. I mean, God, have you looked at what is going on lately in me, in my world? I mean, things are so complex in me and my world sexually that that God's way, the the Bible stuff on sexuality is like a dial-up of sexual fulfillment. It just takes too long. It has too many glitches. It takes away our ability to be in control. You just want to click the mouse and get to where you want to be. You want it to pop up. And it just increases the sexual anxiety to a boiling point. We want a new network provider. Whether it's, whether like for Sarah, it's the code of Hammurabi, which Sarah looked to, or the ethic of it's your thing, do what you want to do. Let's face it. This stuff about the miracle and thou shalt not, it's slow development. It's the hard road. And in our utter failure, let me say this, in our failure to try to do it or follow it, the Bible's view of sexuality and marriage feels like a five-inch floppy disk. It just doesn't fit any of our drives anymore, if you will. And it definitely can't handle I know. I live here too. It definitely can't handle the complex data of all your sexual issues. You think. You think to yourself, I'm too lonely right now for God's version of fulfillment. I'm too ugly. I have to get what I can get while I can. I'm too used. I'm too damaged sexually. My mind and my body are are not right for this brand of biblical blessing in this area. In marriage, I mean, just looking to your marriage for sexual fulfillment, this one person with no other extra stuff or fantasies or anything, it's too hard. I mean, you got babies. Oh man, when the babies come. The honeymoon seems to be over. You know, it's like, hey, you know, baby, how you feeling? Like, wow, God. Sometimes you be in there, you know, Kelly, you know, nursed our boys and you go in there to take care of them, whatever. And you'd be looking at the watch, hoping it goes quick and it doesn't. You work hard. Some of you 60, 70 hours a week, the late nights and, and then all of their problems, your spouse's problems, you know, the, the same stuff with them every day. No fulfillment. The fun and sensual ended when we said... I do. You know, as a married man, I'm going to tell you, it just seemed like things were, were so much hot when we were dating. You know, sneaking around, you know, hey baby, I love you, you know, the Romeo and Juliet thing, it just, you know. Folk are in a rush. You're too tired. 
to make it right and good and enjoyable. And I have to live like this, God? Man, it's been two years and I'm still not good at this or, or good enough. It, it's, it, it's been ten years with the same person. And it's been, and this is the context of God has said we should be. I mean, man, please, God. Or maybe you're not sure. Like Sarah with having children. God just has not said whether you're going to be married or not. Or whether how long it will take. And you think, man, how long I'm going to dry up. This ain't working. Like Sarah, you already think you dried up. You're already past that certain age where you know you can get married and you already pay. Oh Lord, this ain't working. Or or the nature of your sexual affections are so screwy and twisted that you see no hope in what God has to say about it. As a matter of fact, at some point for most of us in this area. Christian or not Christian, he, the one who has made us sexual, becomes the obstacle and no longer a way. God's word and plan has become an obstacle to his own promise of fulfillment. Like with Sarah and Abraham. And so you think, man, give me a replacement. Give me a surrogate thing. Like Sarah with Hagar, a different way, a, a different promise, a different person, a video, a magazine, an affair, a, a non-marriage uh, situation, one in which I don't have to be helped while being locked down. And the idol of sexuality offers a new way, a replacement, a surrogate to fulfill what God has said or spoken or not said or where you feel he is silent. But look at the story. You know the problems? God said it not for sexuality itself, but for the survival and flourishing of right relationship with people around us. You guys are, I'm sure most of you, many of you saw that movie Jerry Maguire. In fact, most of the seminary guys are, hey, you gotta watch this thing about love and commitment. You know, you got to see this thing. Well, I'm not recommending it from the pulpit. <clears throat> the rating and all that stuff. Just being honest, be careful what you watch. And there's this, in the movie Jerry Maguire, Cuba Gooding, Cuba what? Downing Gooding, whatever. You know, Cuba. I'm up here now, y'all, I'm nervous. I never get it right. Okay. Cuba's character, Rod, in the movie, echoes how finding sexual fulfillment in our own way can really harm. In his vernacular, now I don't go around saying these things, in his vernacular, he tells Jerry, Tom Cruise's character, you can't shoplift the pootie. What is he saying? In, in other words, it's, it's more serious than that. Forget the vernacular. In other words, Jerry, oh, Rod's a great character. In other words, Jerry, you can't just take sex from the single woman with no commitment of marriage. You see, Kuba's character was expressing his angst as a son of a single mom. And he knew, he knew how guys would just be coming in. Dating mama. Just for their own selfish kind of sexual acting like they care for the kids, taking them to the zoo, buying them the ice cream. For what? 
to shoplift happiness, to, to shoplift selfish personal ways. And, and he responds as one who knows how sexual stealing destroys a kid caught in the middle of someone's personal attempt at sexual happiness. When we seek to hijack or shoplift sexual blessing for ourselves, we will ruin relationships even if we can't see them. They are ruined in some way. And I don't have to tell some of you this. You know it. You've lived it. Mama dating that guy. Now you call him Uncle So and So. Who's this this week? Oh, this, oh, this Uncle, this Uncle Dick. No, this Uncle Joe this week. He gonna be staying here a little while. And Uncle Joe, Uncle whoever, never becomes Daddy So and So. Ruin, ruin. Hagar was caught in the middle. Now, at this point, she is the victim. Let me say some things, because this is a different culture than ours. Let me go and say that up front, okay? It's a different culture, even though we got the same issues. It's In this case, it was allowed by law for Sarah to say, Hagar, go in and have a child with Abraham. As a matter of fact, that was the way you did it when you couldn't have children. You go in, send the person, and that baby would belong to you. But she's still the victim of an unbelief. Right? Of, of an alternative fulfillment. Whether lawful or not, here's the problem. She's being used in a way she shouldn't be according to what God had said to Abraham and Sarah. When we look for a substitute of sexual fulfillment, people get used in ways they shouldn't. People get caught in the middle. Children of parents and affairs and unplanned pregnancies. Spouses are, are not respected. And, and when you're trying to substitute, they're used and pushed to do what shouldn't be done for the issues of your heart. Or where you're neglected in that place. We talked about this more last week. But, but we are caught and used in relationships of people that are in charge of us or are over us or around us. Think about how much we live in a society of, of sex objectification. All you have to be is a woman. And walk out, and you're caught in the middle. Maybe it's a boyfriend you trusted. He couldn't wait, and he made you feel crummy because you didn't. Some just doing your, some of you just doing your job. You just go to work, and you know, hey, baby, what's up? You know, you get caught that make you, in ways that make you feel like trash or, or make you feel kind of good. Because look how twisted it gets here. The place that Hagar is forced into flips. It now, she's now in a place of entitlement. When she has that, when she's pregnant with that baby, uh, she's now in a place of purpose in the way it shouldn't. In other words, it's beginning to work for her. She is going to wield it and live there sinfully. She should have been able to submit even to her own rightful place in it. Though she was used. I don't know what she did. Maybe it was, um, Sarah was like, hey, um, hey, Hagar, the bed ain't made this morning. Hey. Pregnant. You, 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 you women who can't have children need to take care of that. Or, or, or maybe it, the Bible says despised. I mean, she cursed her. She, she, she treated her badly. There was a way she looked at her and made her feel less. And so Hagar, already done kind of used wrongly, the victim now becomes a victimizer in the situation. I mean, I can imagine them. You know, maybe she's walking around saying, oh, excuse me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm carrying this baby. Excuse me. Oh. I'm sorry, old lady. Your time's passed. You're barren. I'm blessed. 
Maybe she's hanging around Abraham a little too long. You know, a little too much. Hey, Amy, look what we did. All right. Woo. You know, it could be anything that, that, have, that would have done wrong. But she now is acting like the HWIC. And it causes a bigger mess between Sarah and Abraham. It, you know, it's married folk having a relational reversal here. You know, Abraham, it's your fault. You letting her get away with that? You better hold, you better hold things down at home. Now, get this out. Sarah tries to take charge, but then when stuff started acting up, she goes back to Abraham and says, you need to be the man in this house and stop this woman from treating me this way. And y'all, I'm gonna tell you, nobody's right. Abraham, you know, when I first read this, I'm like, Abraham, he just, he, you know, he's just a guy. He didn't know what was happening. He knew what was happening. He just didn't say anything. And so you have this big mess of silent people and vocal people and people caught in the middle and folk, oh, I'm just despised. And once they got pregnant, oh boy, I like this. You have this big mess. I was reading the Roller Story article on sex at Duke. Now let me just go ahead and say, because I know we got a lot of Duke people here. Because you know the whole Duke lacrosse scandal thing. Yeah. It should say sex at colleges, period. Okay? They just, they're they picking on y'all Duke folk, you know? Um, and it's terrible that that article has to come out to damage you right before football season starts. But, <laughs> the, but, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. These ladies that they sell, they interview the women involved in it. They don't interview the cross players. And these ladies are talking about it and they're saying, you know, yeah, we know what it takes to get moved to the top. You know, we're all making straight A's. We're all doing this. We're all fit. We're all on a treadmill. We're all eating tuna fish, not tuna, um, salmon and, and salad only. And we're fit and we're thin and we're smart. And one other thing. We know that we're being passed around from guy to guy to guy. And that's okay. Because we're in charge. We're in control. We're saying yes. So now the way we've been victimized, the way we've been treated like objects by this death, we're going to now learn to use it for our own good. We got power. We on top. We the top girls. We got the best guys. And then that translates later into all kind of corporate relationships later. I'm going to tell you all, it's a real serious network. I don't mind being a prostitute of sorts. Because it's going to pay off. They were talking about the women's lib thing and this generation of women in our colleges. A lot of them were like, you know, I don't care about women's lib. The women's lib people had it wrong. You got to use what you got to get where you want to go. Even if that means being used. Abusers, you know this, are often abused first. Sexual predators were once preyed upon. You know, it's amazing how Things that we used to love, we begin to despise. You hate going to weddings, some of you, because you now despise marriage, and married people make you sick. You despise your own sexuality and its feelings. You despise being a woman or a man or despise the attraction to the other sex. Or you think, I don't need to, I mean, I don't need to go on and on, but it's a mess. The idol of sexuality creates in cultures a big mess, a lack of trust in yourself, a lack of trust in God, a lack of trust on those whom you are called to love. It makes you mad at God and the world, and inevitably, like Hagar, it will make you run. 
The Bible says Hagar takes off into the desert to escape her humiliation and fear that she, that she now pregnant will have to be cared for or vindicated or helped or healed and it won't happen. She runs literally to a hopeless place. Realize back then, y'all, the desert was not the interstate. The desert was the end. She running out there, all out in the street, as they say, nobody to help her, no food, no money, no protection, no blessing, nothing. She's running the hopelessness. Like Hagar, the idol sexually makes us run to a desert of hopelessness. Some of you, it's relationship after relationship after relationship. You know it ain't going nowhere, but oh, it's so better to feel good just for a little while. Some of you are just saying forget it and giving up trying. I'm th- Get all that purity stuff. I don't want any accountability. I don't want to go to the counseling thing. I don't want these guys telling me to go to that promise keepers meeting. I don't want that stuff's corny. Well, sharing, I don't want to share with anybody because they can't be trusted. They will just use and abuse you. I would rather be lonely away from any more romantic situations, away from any sort of sensual feelings, away from even from marital sexual expectations. Let's just watch TV tonight. Let's just go to sleep. Let's just run and get on the phone. Let's go play the video game. Let's do whatever it takes except put hope in something that seems so hopeless. We run away from any God stuff too. All the failures of true love waits. No more trying to fight this thing. No more books. Or no more purity stuff. Or being single or married conferences. It makes me sick. It does bother me sometimes. Hey, Howard, why don't you go to this marriage conference? It'll really help you. Yeah, right, man. I don't blame you. Like Hagar, you and I are running away from pain and emptiness and suffering, and failure, and looking and feeling dirty. You know you can't tell folk the real story. They'll just use it to despise you. You will fail if you try again. Another rejection will just be salt in a wound. My attempt to make sex better in my marriage, to try to give myself more fully and wholly, will just make me suffer. I can't do it. I'm too torn. I'm too hurt. I'm too damaged. I'm too drained. I'm too aimless. I'm too lost. I am unforgivable. I willfully did and thought some really awful things. I used people, myself, and God's blessing to do what shouldn't be done. Let me say this. You begin to feel God's way keeps me feeling condemned. Being around church people and talking about this stuff with them and being in church hearing about this stuff just makes me feel more uncertain about myself. just makes me feel more hopeless. More untrue. Heck, I'm already struggling with self-confidence and God just makes it hard for our singles and I, I'm running to the unfairness from the unfairness of it to somewhere that doesn't make me feel so bad about myself. But God asked us what he asked Hagar in the story. Where are you going? Who's caring for you? Who will love you? You, really you. Where are you going to find redemption and healing for all that went wrong? Because it's not in the desert. Good news. God finds her in the desert. What's it tell us? God is in the desert. The one you've run from is right where you've run. 
And his message is one of grace and hope. And the message is this. Return. And like Hagar in the story, it just seems crazy that God is asking us, like her, to return, to turn back, to submit my life to that do not stuff, to that marriage shift, that single life with all I'm feeling and felt. Impossible. But he is sending her back differently, y'all. Because it is true. I'm going to tell you. As a pastor in a church, I'm going to tell you, it is true. The abstains and thou shalt nots are an impossibility. Do, I do not recommend you trying it on your own. You'll fail. You'll feel bad. You'll be condemned. You'll hate church. You'll hate me. You'll hate God. You'll hate yourself. Don't just read the Bible. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, I'm going to do good. Oh, man, you had it. Trying to be good on your own does not lead, leads to condemnation. But what do we do? The Bible says that Hagar hears God's voice at a well in the desert. Now, it's not happenstance or lucky thing that she happens, that they happen at the same time. God is going to give her a message, a filling truth, a quenching relief, an encouraging energy drink for the desert of her soul in this area, a healing message and means for victims and victimizers. Hear what he says, I see and hear you. And she says, you have come where God, I can see you and you can see me and he promises life for her and her son. I'm not going to get deep into the Ishmael thing here, but to her, all the things God said sounded and looked like this. God found me. He found me destroyed and condemned by sin, sexual sin, angered and looking to take this area of my life into my own hands. And God himself came and revealed himself and comforted me so that I can Return to life. To submit to the place and people for blessing. It's going to sound strange. Back to Abraham and Sarah. To return to right context. She was still to get a blessing as Sarah's maiden surrogate. Abuse aside, of course, according to God's call, in this law, she was not free to leave. She was not free to run, to live outside of God's community. It was the place, the context that God would bless her and her child. Now let me say this thing, because the church has messed up here so many times. Now I'm not talking about returning to an abusive husband. Or a boyfriend. Or a person. That's not what I'm saying. Oh yeah, just go back. You might live this time. No. No, no, it's not what I'm talking about. Not return to the situation of person, but return to the hope of the God-given context of blessing. See, though the abuse may have happened by the hand of another person, God is saying we should be able to return to having real relationships with people, period. Hear me, though the abuse may have happened in marriage, God is saying... Don't take hope away from marriage that I've called as an institution of blessing. That you, I mean, in such a context that you can be loved and treated rightly, but with a different kind of thing. That though the church, for some of you, made you feel dirty and rejected, you can in return to the context as blessing, but this time differently. Return with the gospel message that he sees and calls and loves sex-damaged and sex-damaging people back to himself by grace, by his unmerited favor. So yes, come back to a pursuit of purity, as crazy as that sounds. 
But don't come back to it the same way. Come back knowing that God forgives through Jesus Christ. That you have the power and the blessing and strength and hope only because God sees you and you have seen Him and He accepts you. Yes, go back to making sex work in your marriage. Go back to trying to make it romantic. Make your husband and your wife your only lover. Make it good. But return trusting that in the hard and empty feeling times, God has said, I am with you. I see you. I will not leave you. I've got a promise for your life and your soul. Yes, return to accountability. Yes, in a sometimes sickening accountability groups. So how did it go this week? I mean, go back to that. Or, or how you doing? What happened last week? What y'all doing in that girlfriend-boyfriend relationship? I mean, yes, return to that, to a community of faith and friendships in a church. Yes, it failed. Yes, it's hard to trust. But trust in this more. God says, I see you and you see me. I call you back to me and then call you back to the situation. I will keep you and protect you there. I will forgive and I will heal. Yes, for some of you, return to the hope that a man can love a woman enough to wait. And that you are capable of being loved and loving that way. Only because God has expressed his love for you in the desert of your loneliness. Yes, return to your singleness and some lonely nights and some sexual anxiety. But like Hagar, don't return alone. Go back with a God who sees and knows your condition and promises to be a listener to your issues in a lonely place. A strength and comfort for your loneliness. Yes, even return here to the church and to actually looking in the Bible again with those thou shalt nots and, and fornications and, and abstain and, and those words we don't use anymore to, to its message and direction, but only as one seen and called there and kept by God himself. Y- yeah, return to battle again. Now, hear this. Return with the potential that you will fall and make mistakes again. Uh, I don't think we we do this enough in the church in these conferences you go to about true love weights. You will fail again. You will fall again. In some way, you'll try to go to the desert again. So why try? Know that if you go to the desert again, the gospel says God will meet you there and bring you back but you can't escape them Jesus is God seen and known and touched in the desert he's God's well of water for our souls for in him is forgiveness needed to return to the blessing and fulfillment of our sexual lives. In him is the knowledge that having come to earth as a savior, that he has felt and he knows all your struggles. In Jesus is the power to be single, to be married, to struggle well, to be in community and in accountability. Jesus is God in the desert of our sexual struggles, once and forever the one finding us, filling us, forgiving us, and calling us to return to him over and over and over again. He'll never get 
tired of calling you back. Because he's Jesus. And he's a friend and lover of sinners. Come back. Repent. Return. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it's hard being married. It's hard being single. It's hard being somewhere in between. Call us to return. Return to what you've said. Return to what you've promised. But Lord, help us to return knowing this. You heal and you forgive and you never forsake. Lord, for us who don't know you, let that relationship begin today. For those of us who don't, who do know you and are in the desert again, let that relationship be echoed again. God and Jesus meets us in the desert and he brings us back and calls us to return. Please do this in us. In Jesus' name, amen.